Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 169. It's another special Ukraine war report with a special Mother's Day twist. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And now is most definitely a time to stay vigilant. Mr. President, this is a dark and disturbing morning for America. Last night, a report disclosed that a conservative majority of the United States Supreme Court is ready to overturn Roe v. Wade and uproot decades of precedent affirming a woman's right to an abortion. If this report is accurate, the Supreme Court is poised to inflict the greatest restriction of rights in the past 50 years, not just on women, but on all Americans. Under this decision, our children will have less rights than their parents. The Republican-appointed justices reported votes to overturn Roe v. Wade will go down as an abomination one of the worst, most damaging decisions in modern history. One of the worst, most damaging decisions in modern history. That's Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer from my home state of New York. I don't normally completely agree with Chuck Schumer, but he's right about that. Because last month, according to the most recent Yahoo News YouGov survey, only about 3 in 10 U.S. adults said the Supreme Court should overturn Roe v. Wade. Only 30%. An overwhelming majority of Americans, most Americans of all backgrounds, and certainly most independent Americans who tend to lean a bit libertarian and definitely don't favor overregulation by government, support keeping Roe v. Wade as the law of the land. Now, the far right in this country has been planning for this moment for decades. They said they wanted to do this. It was their plan all along. And now they've actually done it. It's devastating and terrible. That's my view. But here's a view that's beyond debate, no matter where you sit on this argument. Thanks to this decision, this country is about to be ripped apart even more and on a level we've never seen. The fires that are burning so much of this country already in so many damaging ways are about to get even hotter. Sometimes a burn is necessary in a forest to clear the land so it can grow anew. But sometimes it burns the ground so badly and rages so out of control that it sets a nuke plant ablaze and scorches the earth to the point where nothing will ever grow there again. In this moment, we don't know if the fire burning in America will be the one that cleanses our country of racism, fascism, authoritarianism, and so much more, or if it will simply be a political Chernobyl. But the fire this summer will rage. And Americans will yet again be tearing each other apart over yet another issue. And this is the best news that Putin has gotten in months. And good luck recruiting women 
into an American military in 2022 that doesn't clearly support women's rights after what the Pentagon called arguably the most challenging recruiting year since the start of the all-volunteer force. Yeah, Ginny Thomas, Clarence Thomas, Tucker Carlson, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and many other extremists in this country might be celebrating this week. But they're not the only ones. Vladimir Putin is celebrating. Kim Jong-un is celebrating. The Oath Keepers are celebrating. Our enemies are celebrating. Because America is still on fire. And that fire is about to reach a whole new level. And the stakes continue to rise. In this Mother's Day week 2022, stakes have gotten high for all Americans, but especially for every woman and every girl. The war on women is global. We've covered it on this show a number of times before, and specifically back in episode 133 with Zainab Salbi in September, when it became clear to the world that Afghanistan was a key battlefield in that war on women. And that war against women ravaged Afghanistan. And it won there. And it's shattering lives all across Ukraine now. And it's happening here in America, too. Easy is over. For Republicans, for Democrats, for independents, for all Americans. Have no doubt that the war against women is being fought here in America, too. A war on women. And right now, we're losing. And losing sucks. So maybe the Democrats could learn a thing or two from the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians that are fighting and winning against overwhelming odds. And maybe we could all learn something from the Ukrainians. Something important. Something we all need to be reminded of. The value of freedom. The value of democracy. And of that horrible price of tyranny when that freedom is taken away. As we pass the grim milestone of one million dead from COVID here at home, we mourn. As we lose more and more of our rights, we mourn. And despite the mourning, we must continue to fight. Because this is a time for fighters. This is a time for vigilance. And it's a time for action. For action from brave women and brave men, together, united in a cause united in defense of freedom, united in love, like our brave and incredible guests in this episode, a married couple that are an example for all of us in how to be leaders of action. They're true heroes for America, for Ukraine, for women, and for freedom. And they're showing us all how to rise up. They're Adrian Bonnenberger and Irina Bonnenberger Solemko. As 
As the first rumors of a Russian troop buildup swirled this winter, and we covered on this show, renowned author and Army veteran Adrian Bonnenberger knew this was a time for action. Adrian knows about action. He's a former Army infantry officer who served with the 173rd Airborne Brigade and the 10th Mountain Division. He's a Ranger School grad that deployed twice to Afghanistan and was awarded two Bronze Stars and three Army Commendation Medals, one for valor in combat. His memoir, Afghan Post, and all his reporting is outstanding and widely respected. After experiencing the murder of his translator by the Taliban during the fall of Afghanistan, and with his wife and fellow journalist Serena's family squarely in the crosshairs in Kyiv, he knew there was no cavalry coming to the rescue. So together with Matt Gallagher, who you heard from here in episode 161 back in March, and Ben Bush, Adrian formulated a plan and went in to help evacuate Arena's parents and to train and organize local civilians so they could protect themselves. Adrian and Arena join us for a hard look at the realities of war. The realities of how war impacts families, mothers, and fathers, and children. Some of these are things you want to look away from. But there are also moments of inspiration and beauty and even hope that can spring out of even the worst conflicts. We heard from Matt back in March as they just left Ukraine, crossing the border into Poland before returning home. Now, with their parents safe and out of harm's way, Adrian and Arena are back home in Connecticut to tell their story and share what it's really like to be in a war zone in the 21st century and what it's like to rise up to save your family. Adrian and Arena are rising up, like so many others, in Ukraine, in Afghanistan, and now, especially after this week, here in America. When I say look for the helpers, they're what I'm talking about. They're the ones that answer the call and rise up. And that's the title of this song. And it's from the legendary rock band Pink Floyd. It's their first new song in 28 years. And proceeds are going to support humanitarian work in Ukraine. And it features a sample by Andrei Kelvenyuk, the front man of the Ukrainian rock band Boombox. We told you about him in an earlier episode. And you heard this song that they sampled because we played it on this show. It's called The Red Verburnum in the Meadow. And it's a Ukrainian patriotic march. Written in 1914 in honor and memory of the Sitch Rifleman, it's a song of independence. And the singing of the song was banned when Ukraine was a Soviet republic from 1919 to 1991. Ukrainian people caught singing it were jailed, beaten, and exiled. And now it's reborn. Thanks in large part to a 42-year-old that's one of Ukraine's biggest rock stars. As the front man for Boombox, Kilvinyuk was on a world tour including dates in Miami, San Francisco, and L.A., until the war started. Then he dropped his microphone and he picked up an assault rifle to defend his family and defend his country. He's one of many Ukrainian celebrities that dropped their old lives and joined their country's fight for freedom. Pop stars, 
Tennis stars, ballet dancers, playwrights, chefs, they've all joined the fight for Ukraine. Kovinyuk is now part of Kyiv's patrol police, patrolling the streets, hunting for Russian saboteurs and backing up frontline soldiers with anti-tank weapons. And he's still making music that rises up. His incredible rendition of that classic battle hymn about Ukrainian freedom has resonated around the world. He posted that video that went viral, and I played the remix that he created with the Kifness back in episode 158. You might remember he was wearing his new combat uniform. He had a rifle slung over his shoulder, and he was rocking a New York Yankees cap. Well, that video now has 561,000 views, and the one with Pink Floyd has 8.9 million. Hey Hey Rise Up features Pink Floyd members David Gilmore and Nick Mason. Roger Waters, who left the band, is still a badass and outspoken against Putin, but not involved. But he has re-recorded Floyd's anti-war classic, The Gunner's Dream. More on that later in the show. But Pink Floyd's Gilmore had performed with Boombox in London back in 2015. And he said the video was a powerful moment that made him want to put it to music. So he reached out to Govinyuk. And guess where he was? In a hospital, recovering from a mortar shrapnel injury. And he learned that Pink Floyd was writing the song. Gilmore said, I played him a little bit of the song down the phone line, and he gave me his blessing. We both hope to do something together in person in the future. We're all looking forward to that. Because Kavilnik will recover. He will rise up. Just like Ukraine will rise up. He's rising to meet the moment yet again. And people are listening and following. And now he's rising up with Pink Floyd. From Pink Floyd to Boombox, it's time to rise up. And it's definitely a time for independent Americans to rise up. And it's most definitely a time to stay vigilant. Because vigilance is the price of democracy. And that price must be paid, not only by mothers, but by fathers, by daughters, by sons, and by anyone that's ever had a mother, which means everyone. Being an independent American doesn't mean being neutral. It means being independent and standing with others who want to be independent and fighting those who oppose that, those that seek to subjugate independence, the independence of a nation, the independence of a people, the independence of a person's body. The war on women is global, and it's local. This is not a war where you can sit on the sidelines. The battle lines are drawn, and neutrality is not an option. Welcome to the war on women. Welcome to the war for the soul of America and the Western world. Welcome to the fight for Ukraine's independence. Welcome to Mother's Day 2022. And welcome to another moment we all need to rise up. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 169.
Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country, around the world, in Ukraine, and anywhere you can hear my voice, we are back with another special Ukraine war report and two very, very special guests, heroes, in my view, an important voice and story that the American public needs to hear uh, and needs to pay attention to, one that really brings a lot of what we've been talking about for the last few months full circle. I am very honored and humbled and proud to welcome to Independent Americans the great and powerful Irina Solomenko and Adrian Bonnenberger. Welcome to Independent Americans, both of you. Hi. Thanks now, so Irina, much I'm trying. I'm trying to get your name right. I'm trying. Irina Solomko. Solomko. Oh, Thank you so much. Right. Thank you so yeah, much. But now, actually, now it's actually Bonin. Yeah, you can Solomko Bonenberger. Yeah, but I know it can be tricky to spell my name and last name. So I'm actually really, like I don't pay attention to my here. So excellent. Yeah. Well, Bonenberger is not easy either. I say that you know, as a guy named Rykov, I know it's not an easy one either. <laughs> it's a mouthful. It is. It is. But um, I, I, I am really happy you you could join us and to to share your story and your journey and maybe issue a bit of a wake-up call to our audience and beyond. Um, but I want to start by asking you both the question I ask of everyone. Where are you, and, and how are you? Right now, we're in Brantford, Connecticut, so just outside of New Haven, off I-95. Um, uh, we're doing pretty well. It's up and down, depending on the news cycle, depending on what's happening with Ukraine. Um, Irina's parents are living with us right now on a tourist visa. We're hoping that we don't have to register them as refugees, um, but we got them out of Kyiv uh, uh, about a week after the war kicked off in the beginning of March. And uh, they're actually upstairs. So if you hear any walking around, that's, that's them. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so days are good, days are bad. It goes up and down. We're all just hoping this war ends real soon. Absolutely. Um, I want to I want to take us all around this this journey that you're going through right now and maybe maybe start with, you know, you mentioned your family and, and uh, this is Mother's Day week where we're focusing on family. And I'm hoping we can bring special attention to everybody in Ukraine, especially the mothers and children. But can we start with your story? Um, how did the two of you meet? Because I think the Ukrainian American side of this story is is under underreported. I, I lived for years um, in little Ukraine in New York City in, in Alphabet City on, on 7th Street. So I grew up around, you, you know, the Ukrainian community in New York City. But I feel like that part of, of the American story is also um, underreported and, and not fully appreciated. But let's let's get into your story. How did the two of you meet? Well, we met in Ukraine originally. Uh, I was over there to cover the conflict and the sort of impact of the war on Ukrainian society. Uh, got over there for the first time in 2015. Uh, came back in 2016. Uh, met Irina then, and uh, we got married pretty quickly thereafter. Um, and uh, lived there until 2017. So I went on her radio program. We were talking about, I think, to your point, you know, uh, about the intersection of, of uh, Ukrainian culture and American culture, Ukrainian American, but also democracy in general. We're talking about, um, well, a, a particular issue, gender equality in the United States, which is also kind of newsworthy right now. Um, I, I, I was something that I never would be in the United States of America. I was a gender equality expert. I, I'm not, <laughs> by, by, the, by trade. Um, but 
in for the purposes of this show, we're talking about uh, you know uh, it was early 2016, so so the the, the election of 2016 yeah, and the possibility of a, a a woman president in the U.S. didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and, so Adrian, uh, so because uh, uh, with the help of uh, United States government, we had at that moment I was working uh, part time as well because my main job was on uh, ICTV. It's like uh, one of the big broadcast uh, like tv channel but uh, the other uh, so we like we gathered together with journalists before like uh euro euro and we established this romatsky radius mostly like, and npr here yeah mm-hmm. because we like for me independent media was always uh, core for democracy and for uh, like normal development of ukraine and uh, uh, i was very pleased and happy that we had a chance to organizes like Romatsky radio so it's like a uh, public radio mostly in ukraine yeah and the, one of the programs that we had it called respect it's about this like female like rights and and actually i can tell you like um we did great job uh and even if you look like in this military perspective so for the last couple of years like ukrainian women got much more like even comparison with the united states i mean in real equality of like what they can do like uh, on this level so yeah and Adrian uh, and I can I can like uh, I can excuse his uh, appearance in uh, in the podcast uh, because yes he always feel a bit like shame when he's like yeah I came as a, a gender like um, equality expert <laughs> but I can tell you that like still like in the in Ukraine yeah we do not have like enough uh, American voices yeah and right. bright Americans who are coming this is why when somebody is coming like oh like in, in the past yeah like when i lived there like came in ukraine of course journalists try to catch and talk and understand and see like how things are going on like going on there this is why uh yeah it was a really interesting conversation as adrian mentioned hillary clinton was running uh, i believe that the, the potential like vice president for donald trump as well could be women so we discuss this as well so this is was i don't know like um how they call this work romance it started as right, a work yeah romance. yeah yeah it's a great yeah, and- it's a it's a great it's a great love story. And, and I think, you know, those of us who've been to war know that, you know, some of the most amazing love stories come out of war and come out of tragedy. And the bonds that are forged there are are, are incredible. And you all are, are living proof of that. Um, and you're both really accomplished journalists in your own right. So it's, I think, you know, free press week uh, around the world and day. So it's an important time to recognize the courage of the journalists who continue to serve. We profiled my friend Brent Renaud, who was killed in Ukraine, and there have been others who've been wounded and killed. But you all, you know, are in a unique position, not just to experience this, but to tell the stories. Adrian, you're, you know, an incredibly well-respected author and voice for our generation on so many issues. Let, let me ask you to take it forward. So we had Matt Gallagher on a couple of weeks ago when he just left. He went on this harrowing trip with you all and he wrote about it in Esquire. He came on our show to tell that story. But can you take us through that from your perspective? Um, when the war was starting, you know, your parents were there, right? And and you all went through a series of events that led you to get there and eventually bring them back to your house in Connecticut. Can you take us through how that went down? Yeah, we the last like coherent essay that I wrote, I published with the Daily Beast in, in late November of 2021. And it's the last time I've really been able to think per, like clearly about this and not emotionally. Mm. Um, and I wrote just about how bad a war would be, essentially. And I said, we just need to stop this thing before it starts, because it felt to me then like there was some possibility we could stop it. 
And so starting in late November, we were talking about what's going to happen if there's a war like that in Ukraine. And, uh, and actually, I, I would even go back a little bit for just a f- few months earlier than that for, for what shaped our response to the war, which was Afghanistan. So mm-hmm. Afghanistan went all kinds of the wrong direction uh, in a way that nobody saw, nobody predicted it going badly. And then the response to that unpredictable badness was also bad, uh, but nobody saw that coming, nobody. And, uh, and so one of my interpreters got stuck over there and I basically corresponded with him, you know, essentially like I, you know, the advice that I had for him was like, don't go to the airport. It's, it's dangerous to get there. And it ended up being a very dangerous place as we saw with the suicide bombing. I said, if you can get your family out via Pakistan or Tajikistan, I, mean, I guess like roll the dice there, or even Iran, you know, someplace with a stable government. Cause once the government falls apart, you don't know what's going to happen. He got killed after the government fell apart. Not clear if it was the Taliban or one of these sort of like some tribal dispute or something, but in the absence of a state authority, you know, when things fall apart, then what happens is chaos, violence. So I had that, like, not at the back of my, mind, like all the way at the front, when I was thinking about what ha- Russia invades, you know, we know they're going to be pushing on Kiev. Well, if, if the war breaks out, it's going to be too late, probably. You're, you're rolling the dice. Right. And so um, before, you know, just with the threat of war, we're talking, you know, weekly and then daily, like, what are we going to do? How are we going to look after your parents and her parents uh, who live in the, live in the Northern part of Kiev, which is sort of like the most dangerous part. Mm-hmm. Um, we were not able to get them out. They didn't want us to come and pick them up. Uh, there were phone conversations that involved tears and shouting. Um, and, but we did get them to agree to kind of make a plan to, to, to get to the suburbs if war started. And, and they were thinking about that. They were considering it. The war started and within a couple of days of the war breaking out, like the, the, the Russians had sort of forward troops in the, in the outskirts, the northern part of Kiev, a couple of streets away from, from where her parents' uh, apartment is. And, they, uh, and that was what convinced them to, 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 to do their sort of bug out plan to the south. Once they got to the south, they were uh, the, the, the southern part of, 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 of Kiev. They, they were a little bit more secure, so we had some time and flexibility. But we talked and we realized we we're like, they're not going to leave. Like, they're not going to leave Ukraine unless we come to get them. And so that's what we ended up doing. And I would like to add, of course, that um, Adrian, I know why he is skipping this part, but like for a couple of months, it's like probably every night he was, uh, every other night he was. Uh, like coming downstairs for dinner, I was like, I know how to, like, it was, he was so much deep into Ukraine. He was so much deep into Kiev. You even can imagine, like, sometimes even like, I hate him, like, please, can you give me a break you know, for a couple of days? Do not discuss this with me because it's so personal for me. You're not talking even about Afghanistan, how to say Afghanistan. You're talking about my country, you're talking about Kiev, and I can, like, because yeah, this couple of months it was like a nightmare when we were waiting for this to happen, unfortunately. Yeah, because nobody knows. Yeah, Putin uh, rejected this. Yeah, even the Ukrainian authority, let's be honest, they were pretty like, uh, like they were not super like convincing people like, yeah, this will happen. Like they take, no, everything is stable. And this is why I believe my parents as well, because, for example, my dad trusts the president. And this is why he's like, no, you're a 
why 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 are you telling all this bullshit? Like nothing will happen. Like now Russia will never attack Ukraine. So this is why it was so difficult even for us to convince them to think about this because it was like. Uh, Yes, we had this uh, situation on, on the east, we had Crimea, but people in Ukraine, majority of people in Ukraine, refused to believe it's Russia, mm-hmm. brothers of Ukraine, mm-hmm. who so savagely like attack Ukraine and try to take it under like uh, under uh, control. So this is why uh, like I saw how, and, and, and I can tell you, like, for me and for Adrian, it was different level of emotional involvement. For him, it was, yes, we need to save Ukraine, but for me, it was a little bit different. And and in one moment, yeah. So he he was saying like, yeah, we need to go. If something had happened, we need to go to Ukraine. Like we need to be there. And um, uh, and like when we discussed this with you at the very beginning, like we have a son, yeah, and I know that we have obligation, like like for him, yeah, as a parent. So we cannot like just be absolutely unreasonable and go to war, like and fight there. Even if we want to do this, so and um, but the, but but when war started, I I remember like for the first couple of days, of course, it was horrible news about this uh, uh, soldiers in Zmyini who were killed. Then we find found out that they survived. Yeah, mm-hmm. now they like in Ukraine, but still, it was so many heroical like events and. Uh, and like we were so deeply in all this uh, stuff that I realized that yes, I won't be able, we won't be able to stay mm-hmm. in the United States uh, yeah, during this period. And we need to go to Ukraine and help as much as we can, no matter what we'll be doing, like, I don't know, cooking, yeah, like, no, it doesn't matter. So we need to be there. Yeah. And of course, uh, it was combined with like bringing my parents from Kiev because mm. so that was as well a very important uh, mission for us first of all to convince them and and but I believe like as soon as we I because they don't want us to come and then when I uh, I said to my dad I said like that we bought tickets we're coming mm. and and he didn't tell my mom for for, the, for one day I believe he just stand like for one yeah. day and then I'm like Iran I see. Something is you. You're planning something. Yeah, she, she yeah. knew, right? Is it reality? <laughs> they knew you. Were, they knew you were up to something, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, and, I'm yeah. glad you mentioned. I'm glad you mentioned Snake Eye. I've been wearing Saint Javelin shirts every week on a show, so I've got. You know, I don't know if you can oh, see this nice. one, but I've got I've got the Russian warship go fuck yourself shirt on. Um, to to, to another way of showing support, but I want to I want to take it to another level. I think you're 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 showing a great. Um, balance between the emotional and the tactical and adrian you've done multiple combat tours post 9 11 you know your shit um can you talk about kind of your your strategic and tactical hat you put on because you've been outspoken and i think appropriately about the american failure in afghanistan that we've covered at length i've called it the great american betrayal of afghanistan and and that you know is still ongoing but there was a loss of faith right in our government's ability to get people out you saw that you anticipated, like many of us did, that it would be repeated again in Afghanistan, in, in, in Ukraine. You couldn't trust the American government to get people out. So you did it yourself. Can you talk about how you put together and executed that plan with two of your buddies that then led to this this trip to, to Ukraine? Yeah. And, you know, some of the stuff that you've talked about with other folks, so with other guests on the show and just in general in public, uh, I think. I think relates to this uh, idea that I had. It's 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 an energy that probably a lot of uh, veterans of 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 GWAT or whatever it's called now, um, but not, not just veterans. You know, sort of normal American citizens who are kind of 
so turned off by the, the, the partisanship uh, and, and the extremism you see on social media and to a certain extent in Washington, D.C., and people are just kind of sick of it. Like you said, you know, yeah. you're sick of, of, of the failures of the most powerful government on earth, the, the power of the U.S. military. Uh, you're looking at what Russia's doing right now, which is supposed to be a powerful military. You're like, my gosh, we're, or, we're orders of magnitude more powerful than those people are. We take this stuff seriously. But then being, you know, uh, trapped in the giant bureaucracy of it and, and understanding that like, okay, you can't depend on the United States government to do everything, not anything. It's, it's a very capable institution and again, a powerful institution. But you as an individual, as a citizen, have a lot of authority and autonomy to, 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 to accomplish things that are important to you, um, you know, within a legal framework. So specifically with the training thing, like Ira said, you know, we're going over there. We knew that we were going to be over there for a couple of weeks. We really wanted to make a difference. Uh, Ira was already plugged in uh, with uh, a nonprofit that was helping with humanitarian aid, helping push um, medical supplies, mostly uh, to the east, to Kiev and, and Kharkiv. Tactical, and, yeah, tactical medicine, actually, for our, I mean, for our territorial defense, uh, the force, um, territorial defense defense forces. forces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I thought, okay, what are the options for me? You know, for two, We're going to be there for a couple of weeks. Um, fighting, not a real option. Frankly, you know, I'm also not in great shape right now, but even be, even if I was in like terrific shape, uh, you know, ranger shape, I, uh, I, I don't know, two weeks is not a lot of time to kind of like jump on a helicopter and go to the, the front and play bang bang for a little while. Um, not even enough time for like a, a proper left seat, right seat. So I thought, besides which there's, you know, legal questions, you know, the, the legality of, of, of doing that, uh, being an American citizen. Um, so thought through it, talked through it with some folks. I was open to a lot of different possibilities manifesting when I got there. I tried to keep flexible. Um, but the thing that seemed like the best opportunity was that, that made use of my skills and also the skills of um, not just people uh, like Matt Gallagher and Ben Bush, but Matt Gallagher and Ben Bush specifically, because we're a really great team. They're both terrific leaders, uh, was to do training of territorial defense forces. These motivated uh, citizen volunteers in Ukraine that were very analogous to probably the, you know, the Minutemen and the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. and, and that idea, the idea of being autonomous, taking people who uh, had, had a similar view, who wanted to accomplish something on an individual level, tactically, but something that would have strategic implications. Uh, this was like the perfect way to do that. And I felt that we accomplished that mission pretty well. So you call up Matt and Ben and you say, hey, guys, uh, want to go to Ukraine and get my 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 in-laws out? Is that basically the phone? And while we're there, we'll try to make a difference. Is that kind of the phone call? Or can you t talk us through how, you know, what the phone call was like when you called these guys? It was when I reached out to them, I reached out to, I think, five or six people total that I thought would be game for this. And they were two of those, five or six, six, I guess. Uh, and I said, we're going over to Ukraine and we're going to be training, uh, have a really great opportunity to make a difference. And, and uh, there was, there was, the, I was flexible in that pitch to them because I wasn't exactly sure what that training was going to look like or what it would right. consist of. Um, and Matt and Ben 
like got back to me and me got back to me. I think they both said like, I have to check with my wife first. The natural thing. Uh, I, I believe Matt's words are actually, my wife is going to kill me. Right. But I think I have to do this. Right. Um, right. So it, it, or that might have been bad. I'm not sure. I don't want to put so, Matt. So once Matt. you get there, it's the early days of the war. Um, can you talk us through how hard was it to get um, to get your folks out? I mean, you know, the bureaucracy of it. Right. You, I mean, talk about linking up with them. And, you know, did you meet at their apartment? Did they come to you? You know, and once you got them, how hard was it to get them back to Connecticut? Because this is a process that millions of other people are going through right now too, right? Actually, we are pretty lucky because my parents uh, are having U.S. visa. So it's like, uh, because this is not their first time in the United States. So they visited mm -hmm. us a couple of times, a uh, couple of years ago before COVID. Uh, so as like when we just moved here and this probably this made uh, like things much easier because we don't need to wait. Yeah, we don't need to apply for visas. The most, the, the most trickiest thing was to convince them to leave. Mm -hmm. And then of course to bring them like from Kiev uh, to leave uh, where we're staying. But like I have an older brother and uh, actually like, yeah, we discussed this with him. And uh, I, saw, I, I told like, Max, you need to bring them here and then just bring them here then we will take care uh, mm. of the rest. And uh, it was a couple of options because one option was because at that moment it was, I don't know, like uh, March, babes probably, or fours. But the, the fights for key every night where we were looking for this like uh, uh, news about some attack, uh, mm -hmm. some, I don't know, um, ear paratroopers as well, like was trying to like, uh, like land, yeah, like in Kiev as well. Uh, and uh, the the road wasn't safe as well to drive. So and with this other way, like probably they can take a train or like either to like to or my brother will bring them. But train was not an option as well because it was I don't know like thousands of people on train station tried to mm -hmm. take the train. And my parents are not super old, but they senior people already and they have some health issues my mom is still like blood pressure this is why we were so like worried about her as well because i know yeah. like she's so easy to like um yeah so it's very easy to like to unbalance her like emotionally sure. and it's yeah. immediately like jump like with the blood pressure uh yeah and actually usually road from cave to Lviv it's like six hours like on, on the but they it took them like probably like 36 hours instead wow. uh yes because it was huge uh like uh, traffic on checkpoints because i and i, I will repeat it was a plus minus it was a bit like mess mess at that moment yeah because mm -hmm. nobody knows uh, like uh nobody knew what happen yeah so uh like people will just try to put checkpoints every like two mm -hmm. two checkpoints on the mm -hmm. entrance like an mm -hmm. exit from the from the village it was really really tough like and uh and at the night you can you you were not i think it's still this way it was like uh, martial law so you were not a curfew you were not able to uh like drive at the night so they weren't able to like uh, drive for during the day, so we try to find some space, a place to stay in Hmelnitsky. It's like a town, city, not like probably not how many, like 200 kilometers from Lviv. Yeah, and I, uh, this is why, like, it was very um, uh, intense, uh, like, um, 36 hours. And I remember, like, when I just, um, 
yeah, because uh, once we were arriving, we went with Adrian to discuss some like training stuff. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. and he was able even to see them like once they arriving. So I remember how I came back to the apartment and like and saw my mom and I was finally able to hug her. It was such a relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I saw how my dad actually like he, they immediately look so much older. Like uh, this mm-hmm. war, like this trip, they took so much. Uh, mm-hmm. All the stuff took so much from from all Ukrainians. I, I read like uh, a lot of people like from Bucha, Arpinze, like just today I was reading this like post from my friend who live in Bucha and she saw, yeah, like I, I saw the person like uh, in this marshutka, it's like little bus that you can commute from Kiev to Bucha. And uh, she saw like your old friend and she told like, oh, you look so older. <laughs> you look so mm. older as well. So it's mm. like, yeah, it's very... So you got them to Lviv and then how did you get them from Lviv to Connecticut? Did you go into Poland or how did you yes. get... Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, because then we flew by ourselves. We were not possibly we were not able to fly directly to to Ukraine, so we flew to Krakow, and then uh, like yeah, people whom uh, like our friends mostly met us um, like in Krakow, and we drove through border. It was as well a very emotional moment for me because uh, it was not only for me. I believe probably met us like met and and uh, everybody was really. Uh, like it was very tough to see all these people on the border, yeah. uh, like who were crossing like uh, checkpoints from Ukraine to Poland because it was thousands of people. It's mostly seniors, uh, like uh, women, uh, with like kids, with dogs, like and they just were walking. It was really painful to see this. It was like first picture of like the war that we saw actually uh, approaching to Ukraine. Uh, yeah, so we crossed the checkpoint and then we drove to, Ky- to Lviv because it's not super like long distance. It's about like, right. I think like right. it's less than three kilom- 300 kilometers from Krakow to Lviv. So, and coming back to your question, yes, so we bought the tickets, the same flight as we had, like uh, Krakow, mm-hmm. uh, New York. And uh, yeah, so this is how mm-hmm. we... It- I t- I'm telling you, the most, the most like, tricky part was to bring them from Kiev to Lviv. This is mm-hmm. the most... And I'm so grateful that you all are sharing this because I think this is the side of the story that most people aren't hearing, you know, the personal stories, the family stories. Adrian, you're great at, at talking about the personal stuff, but also about the political and macro stuff. You talked a bit about your, the status of of of, of uh, your in-laws here. Um, what is their status and what do you think it should be? Because you're great at also making policy recommendations. So, you know, what what is their status now? What, what, what do you want it to be? And what policy changes do you want to see for families like yours if you had the ear of President Biden for a couple of minutes? It's a, that's a tough question. I, their status right now is they're tourists. Um, and their return ticket is for July. And so we're all kind of living in this fantasy land that that's all they are and that they'll be heading home by July. Everyone wants the war to end. Um, if, if I may add here is very quickly. So for our family, it's not an issue. So my parents want to come back to Ukraine. So yeah, this they is, don't want to stay. This is sure. the only desire that they have. Like, and every time they're looking, watching just like, and that asks me, can we change our tickets? Can they probably come back in June, not July? Mm. So this is like mm. the notion that they have like in their brain because they want to come back to Ukraine. They, so they're not refugee here. They're like, they're just staying with us. Yeah, but, but the situation is not for every families, mm. probably somebody want to stay in Adrian. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and I, I think you've done great. Uh, Kristen Rouse has done amazing sort of advocacy work for um, for Afghans too. I mean, it, it it is really odd to me that like folks like my interpreter, um, people who like people like you and me could say, "Hey, this is a good person. They make a really terrific American." They're in line with our values. The things that we're doing in Afghanistan were legitimately aligned with American values, culture, democracy. This isn't the fifth columnist or something like right, that. Like, right, right. believe me, you know, he's right, one of the good right, 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 right. Um, and I think the, the Ukrainians actually have, uh, the Ukrainian-American diaspora here in the United States and Canada actually have a better mechanism for vouching for that, in a sense, because they're already plugged into the political apparatus. Right. I don't know if Afghan-Americans are as plugged in, which could have been one of the issues there, plus the the, the, the concerns around terrorism or whatever else, you know, the yeah. Taliban infiltrating or ISIS infiltrating. But with Ukrainians, it's, you know, I think it's fairly easy because most Ukrainians have a cousin or an uncle or a, a brother or a sister who's already in the U.S. Mm-hmm. who can sort of facilitate that. I mean, I think in general for policy, like we, we do need to have a more flexible um, mechanism in the State Department for, for, for taking expert advice and taking recommendations in. It doesn't need to take, you know, if, if I can get, you know, like five other people like myself from the 173rd, from 3rd ID, from uh, somebody from the U.S. Marine Corps, somebody else from the Air Force who all say over the course of like seven years, this is a good dude, we should bring him in. That yep. shouldn't take a whole lot of effort on the State Department's part. So I don't know where the breakdown is there. Like, I don't know if we need more folks working in the State Department. I don't know if we need like a, a crisis response team to flex to a country like Afghanistan or like Ukraine that can quickly stand up uh, you know, a, a mechanism for vetting people who, who need to be, you know, who are refugees, who need yeah. to leave Ukraine, who don't have a home to go back to, like people from Mariupol, that might be something. Yeah, uh, we need it to work, right? I mean, that, that's, the, that's yeah. the stark difference we're seeing like, now, too, is how much it's working ask, for. Sorry, go ahead, Irina. Yeah, yeah, I would like to ask because, like, I can tell you, it's like, because I'm, I'm covering these topics, like, and I'm, of course, I'm, I'm super aware about this. I can tell you that now, like, U.S. government already, like, done a lot. So, because, like, they have a couple projects, like, for ref- Ukrainian refugees, yes, the people who have, as Adrian mentioned, relatives here, they can, like, uh, sponsor, like, their relatives coming here. And all, like, uh, the people who already been in the United States, when the moment, uh, when the war started, they can, they, they can legally stay here for, like, uh, 18 months and have ability to work so it's actually a lot but i believe definitely like uh and so it was a big problem when the u.s embassy left ukraine right and it was even not in poland it was in germany so people who want to buy the visas they need to go to frankfurt i believe so that was a huge problem actually for ukrainians mm-hmm. and at that special moment so now i'm really pleased to hear that like they're coming back for now to leave not even yeah. to pay yeah. yes it's indeed but this is very important stuff and for finally have an ambassador as well it's important yeah because we have not had ambassador like in ukraine yeah. i believe for yeah. three years at least so this is like things that should be can be improved actually and, and should be because uh, yeah if you want to help ukrainians uh you need to like at least like a nice uh, the place where they can apply for visa not yeah. to go to germany to do this so this is important i, I, I want to come back to that and ask you all how people can help but i think the the point that we were getting to about the, the American bureaucracy not working, right? You have to fight a war 
You have to fight for survival. Then you have to fight the American bureaucracy, which in Afghanistan I've described as like the DMV line from hell, right? And, and yeah. if you don't make it to the front of the line, you die. And that was what happened yeah. to far too many of our allies and friends. But now with, with the situation in Ukraine, it's accelerated, it's opened, it's more flexible. Now, that could be that we learned all our mistakes from Afghanistan, or it could be you know, some of the factors you talked about, or it could be politics and racism and other factors. But the start, the, the contrast is pretty stark. And I think, Adrian, you're in a position to to see that better than than almost anybody. I've got two of my Iraqi interpreters that are here in the United States that are thriving, that have families that are doing well. I've got one that we don't know what happened to him. He may be dead. He may be gone. We may never know. But I think what we're seeing is that if the American government wants to try and if the president wants to focus on it and not put it in the rearview mirror, we can make things happen a whole lot better than we have before. So let me ask you, um, I wanted to touch on one thing. Arena, you, you mentioned your brother. Is he still there or what is, yeah. what is his status? And and can you give us any read on, on what's going on with him and, and the folks that are still there? Yeah, actually, he's still, yeah, he's in Kyiv, so he, uh, like, he probably spent, like, one week with us in Lviv, and, and that's, like, very hard, like, very uh, hot, yeah, when Kyiv was super hot spot, and, and I was so happy that he was with us at that moment, uh, but, yeah, he came back because he is not, uh, he's not in the army, because he's working for this Ukorovoron Prom, so this, like, military corporation is providing military assistance, like, and selling mm -hmm. weapon. Mm -hmm. so he actually, and he's uh, in charge of GR, like, government relations there, so his work is essential mm -hmm. uh, now, and uh, so... So he, he can't leave the country. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No. No. It's not. No. It's not. It wasn't even about this way. Whenever this that he will leave the country. So the question was how he can be the most useful. Yeah. And uh, uh, but his family, they're not in Kiev. They're in Lviv. Uh, but and, but unfortunately, like even yesterday, it was like uh, again like shelling of Lviv, and it was they have they don't have electricity now. Part of Lviv doesn't have water. So unfortunately, like there is no safe space in in Ukraine, mm -hmm. and this is why when somebody asked me, oh, like. Where is your brother or where is your rest of the family? They, oh, it's probably safe there. As like now, there is no space in no, Ukraine, no and safe. even like yeah. because the, like Uzhorod, we have only one uh, like city that wasn't like under the shelling for long for two months. It's the name is Uzhorod Transcarpathia. It's really really like on the edge of Ukraine. But yesterday, <laughs> they hit even there. So not not, not Uzhorod, but there's some villages like in Transcarpathia. Yeah. So this is mean like there is no safe space in Ukraine now, and uh, um, yeah. So this is this is why I have a lot of friends there as well. Like and uh, of course a lot of people already came back to Kiev. They they want to have their life back. Mm -hmm. So this is their most like like the biggest intention. Just like yes, uh, like and if you look, I'm, I'm so admired actually looking uh, how people like. Uh, Try already to bring like European butcher back to life. Yeah. Like, this, this, this like the, the, like demolishing uh, city like towns like. But people they coming they're planting the trees there they're planting like flowers they want to bring all their life back and uh, this mm -hmm. is really touching for me the most. I like, think it's it's a it, it's been an inspiration to the entire world and it's also been a gut check moment for I think so many people in this country that talk a good talk about you know, loving and defending their country and asking themselves if they would go to the same lengths that 
you have gone through, that your parents have gone through, that your brother's going to now. I mean, you know, you, sometimes you have to explain to Americans, yeah, they're of age, they have to stay and they want to stay. And I think that's something that our generation of Americans, especially Adrian, hasn't been forced to face. We volunteered, but for those who haven't, they've never had to really answer that call. So I think it's an important gut check moment for all of us and an inspiration on what it really means to be, um, you know, putting your your life on the line for freedom and for the values that we hold dear. So it, I think it's, it's, it's really become such an inspiration, but we have a responsibility to stay focused on it. And and maybe that takes me to a final question. And I hope you guys can stick around for a couple of extra questions for our uh, Patreon members. We'll, we'll, we'll take it uh, in a different direction and get to know you a little bit better uh, for our Patreon members that help us keep this going. But a, a final question is, you know, reality, you guys live this, we, we're around it. I feel like the American public is already kind of starting to turn the page. Right. You know, now that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned, the the summertime is going to come. You know, you're both journalists. You know that 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 stories tend to lose their momentum. And and I think it's up to all of us to keep this in, in focus, no matter how long it goes, because it's the fight of our time. And it's about so much more than than just Ukraine. But what what do you want um, the average American who's watching this in the news, maybe doesn't have a, a family member involved? What do you want them to think about and what do you want them to do? How can they support um, this fight in Ukraine right now, wherever they are? So the since coming back from Ukraine. And this is something that I first saw in Ukraine, um, but but I've really pulled together here in the U.S. Um, and again, is is something that you you've spoken about in the show and you've written about, and talked about. The, the kick that I've been on is a, a local kick, you know, local politics, local community involvement, and that's what Ira was talking about too with with Bucha with 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 Ukrainians. The the revolution that's happening in Ukraine right now, it's been happening in one way, shape, or form since the fall of the USSR has been both an individual relationship with the government and a relationship with their local community. And the big thing in Ukraine, the big sort of people talk about Ukraine being a corrupt country. There, there are elements of, of Ukrainian of the Ukrainian government that are corrupt, mostly legacy from the USSR and, 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 and Russia before that. But the, the trend is toward less corruption. And it's all because of decentralization. It's all because of empowering states and empowering local towns and empowering the best people in those towns to run them, to collect taxes, to pay for things like roads. When I first got to Ukraine, there were a lot of towns that had really lousy roads. Mm. But even by 2018, you know, the road systems were vastly improved and improving because as it turns out, and I'm, I'm on the, my, my local Town RTM, the representative town meeting that's sort of like the the, the weird New England style, like yep. city council, basically. Yep. And so I'm on my RTM and like, we've got a budget, a town budget of 114 million bucks. We're going through budget right now. The big vote is next week. And there are 10 to 15 people in every town meeting. Many of them uh, are retirees and they've got a lot of time and they go through line by line through that budget and they ask hard questions about where their taxpayer dollars are going. Questions that can't be asked with the same fidelity at the state level or the national level. And I think the key to all of this is the system that like we have, like it's our, it's, we're not doing a great job at the state or the national level, but like all the, the state and the national level stuff works because tax collection is at like 99% 
at the local level because there are still roads, because there are these communities. That's what Ukraine is trying to build and they're like frantic for it. Mm -hmm. So I hope that people understand that the Ukrainians are basically like us. They want what we have, not the fancy houses or the fancy cars, the systems where they get a chance to say what they think without having to worry about getting hauled into the forest and killed. And they have a chance to spend money on things that they know people in Europe and the United States get and have like school systems, mm -hmm. like roads, like police departments that aren't corrupt, all of those things. Uh, so, so the Ukrainian people are like us and, and, and we're like us too. We have a lot more than we probably even know. And for folks who haven't traveled, you know, outside of the U S man, like take a trip somewhere else, anywhere else. That would be I, I would even, I would even say that right now they're, they're better than us. And and they, they, they you know right now they they're, they look a whole lot more American than America does right now given the way we've been divided and and corrupted and and you know we're not really in a good position to question anyone else's level of corruption right now given the last couple of years but Irina any any final thoughts for you for for the country for yes. anyone listening yeah yeah I would like to like answering your question uh, I I really hope that because uh, as Ukrainian I can I really. I'm, I'm very vulnerable when uh, somebody like Amer some Americans repeating this Russian cliches, Russian narratives about Ukrainians, that like all this like bullshit that was putting in the brain for decades, like even since USSR. So when I hear this, like it's very like, it's like, I don't know, like a rather red clothes for bull for me. And mm -hmm. I really hope, I'm hoping that like this fight, yeah, this true, finally give Ukrainians chance to get rid of all this like cliches and myths mm -hmm. about them showing what they stand for, who are, they, who are they. Show a real face of Russians, not only Russian authority, but Russian people, because this is important. And I deeply believe, I was really surprised when I heard that like Americans believe that it's Putin's fault, it's not Russian people's fault. And I think it's like a very short sign approach mm. to the problem, because people are responsible for this as well. Like Russian soldiers were raping like Ukrainian women, like in Bucha and kids, like in killing civilians, not Putin by them himself, or if you will hear all the conversations that Russian soldiers having with their mothers or with their mm -hmm. wives. Like I always, I like to repeat this again and again. I don't know whether the Ukrainian American audience heard this. When wife is calling to her Russian soldier and saying like, I hope you're raping Ukrainian women, yeah? When you will be doing this, use the protection, use the condom. Mm. So this is conversations what they're having. Mm -hmm. And I want world to know about this. I want to understand what is this threat is. And I want to work to see Ukrainians like from like from different perspectives, seeing them as a brave, like, I don't know, very pro-European, like cool people who are fighting for the independent and showing all world how you can protect your land in 21st century, excuse mm. me. <laughs> Not like in mm. 20th, but nowadays. And, and like I don't know, a couple three months ago, it can up. It, it looks so like bizarre and unreal. And now we are facing this. I th I think you know the the uh, you know I'm not one for silver linings, but I think that that there is an amazing outcome, which is people are seeing the true heart and soul of the Ukrainian people. And and I think you're right to to challenge the Russian people as well. I mean, if you look back at the U.S. Yeah, Trump was responsible for a lot of things, but a lot of Americans made Trump possible. And in the same 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 vein, you know, Putin is is obviously responsible, but so are many in Russia. And we've got to hold everyone accountable for their their dastardly and criminal behavior. And I think that's the next phase. But also the next phase is, in my view, 
you know, Ukraine inspiring the world and, and looking at like what the world can be. And I've seen the Klitschko brothers and others saying that, you know, Kiev can be this rally point for the world. And I think it will rise from the ashes and already is. And, and we're going to try to shine light on that as much as possible. And the two of you are an amazing story. You're true heroes, a love story, a family story, a Ukrainian story, an American story, an independent story. You kind of bring it all together. Um, and I'm really thankful and honored that you could spend some time with us. I know you're going to stick around for a couple extra questions uh, for, for our Patreon members, but thank you for all that you do. Happy Mother's Day. All the best to, to your family. And please keep us updated. And until then, stay vigilant, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Privilege to be with you. If those two don't inspire you, nothing will. Adrian and Irana are what this moment is all about. They're what Ukraine is all about. They're what America is all about. And their story is a gift to all of us and a reminder of what family really means and what the courage of a mother really looks like. Follow them both on Twitter. I'll link to them in the show notes. And be sure to check out Adrian's books, Afghan Post, his memoir about his time in Afghanistan, And The Road Ahead, a book that he edited, that's a great collection of 24 amazing stories by 24 veterans. Check out all his essays and reporting that have run in places like the New York Times and Foreign Policy. He's also the editor of the Yale Medicine Magazine. And definitely check out Arena's articles, see her documentaries and her news pieces that she's produced for places including BOA, The Voice of America. They also recommended a few charities that you can support to help the people of Ukraine and the refugees of this conflict. I'll link to them in the show notes, but it's Raison for Ukraine, the Ukrainian Freedom Fund, and Iris CT, the Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services in Connecticut. I'll link to all this in the show notes and on the Independent Americans website. All this underscores the massive extent to which Irina and Adrian are true helpers. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. They keep coming. Check the hashtag look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours with me. And while you're on social, you can play guest to guest every Wednesday night. And be sure to go to independentamericans.us where you can see video of my entire conversation with the Bonnenbergers there. And you can watch really cool videos that Chris has been creating of the best parts of my monologues and my closings and the tributes we've done over the last couple of weeks. You can also hear all of our recent episodes on Ukraine and you can get Independent Americans gear and support this show. I'm rocking the Independent Americans coffee mug in the latest show. You can get one of those if you're up for it. Makes a great Mother's Day gift or a Father's Day gift, which will be right around the corner. You can help support this show, and you can also support this show by joining our Patreon community. Shout out and big thanks to all of our Patreon members. Please join them if you can. Join our Patreon crew and spread the word. They're going to get special exclusive content of an extended conversation I had with Adrian and Arena only for our Patreon members. So check it out. Join that crew, and thank you. And as always, please support us. Go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. It does help us move the needle and it helps us get new listeners. Be sure to subscribe for free and share. Pick a couple people you know and share this powerful and inspiring love story. Share this story with your mom. Share it with your favorite mom. Share it with somebody. Make it a Mother's Day gift if you forgot one. But Righteous is continuing to bring the five eyes and all our podcasts and everything we do. 
independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And it's powered by the Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. And by my amazing wife, Lori, and my two boys. If you haven't noticed already by the sound of my voice, everybody in the Rykoff household is sick. Yes, again, it's not COVID, but it seems just as bad. Fever, sore throat, a raspy voice that now sounds like this. But everyone bonds in the suck, right? And it sucks being sick, but I'm grateful we're together as a family, especially at a time when so many families in Ukraine are apart. And just like so many other mothers are around the world, and especially in this last couple years, my wife Lori is our rock. She's been tireless and inspiring, especially throughout this pandemic. And she continues to be a loving mother, an incredible role model, and the truest master of 90s music this side of the Mississippi. So happy Mother's Day, Lori. And I can't miss my own mom, of course, who remains one of our single most loyal listeners. In those days when I struggle to get out a show, and I definitely have those days, especially in a week like this when I'm running between two kids and fighting a fever, I know my mom is always listening because she's always there to support me, just as she has been always. So happy Mother's Day to you too, Mom, and to all the other moms out there, and to all the moms that are gone that we love and miss so much. The mothers of this country are what make America great. And we will all continue to love you, to support you, and to fight for you. America is more divided than ever and about to be even more divided. But we in independent Americans and righteous media are working to change it, adding light to contrast all the heat of the other political shows, something your mother would probably approve of. So if you're among that 42% of Americans who are independents, this is your show. If you're a Republican or a Democrat and you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show. This is your mom's show. Just let her know about it. If you're a concerned American who cares about the future of your country, this is your show. All are welcome. We invite you and your mama to join us and be a part of the solution. And check out all the other Righteous Media podcasts that spin off of this mothership of content, including The Firefighters with Rob Sarah. Rob has a new pod hitting tomorrow. And if you didn't hear... This weekend was the annual epic clash of hockey between the New York Police Department and the New York Fire Department. It was the 40th annual clash. The charity hockey game took place on Saturday, and it was another heated affair. (laughs) Get it? Heated? With the fire department taking it yet again, and in overtime, it was the fifth straight win for the fire. And Rob will have all the inside scoop and an exclusive conversation with the hero of the game. Our other podcast, B-Dorm, also dropped a new pod last week, and you got to check that one out. Jericho and Don get into Earth Day, drug money, Wu-Tang, why JT hates Michael Jordan, and why he loves fuzzy, fudgy beer. Yes, really. But these guys just keep getting better. It's fun and smart, and B-Dorm is a podcast. You've got to check it out. Share it with your mom. She'll probably like it, too. You can subscribe to all the Righteous podcasts wherever you got this pod or at Righteous.us. And please share them far and wide and help us keep sharing the hope, because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And music continues to fuel that hope and the hope of peace in our time. Floating down Through the clouds 
Memories come rushing up to meet me now But in the space between the heavens And the corner of some foreign field I had a dream I told you earlier in the show that Roger Waters of Pink Floyd has re-recorded Pink Floyd's classic anti-war song, The Gunner's Dream. On this show, you might have to choose between pancakes and waffles, but you don't have to choose between Pink Floyd and Roger Waters. You can love them both and enjoy them both. So the song is off Pink Floyd's 1983 album, The Final Cut, and it tells the story of a dying airman who dreams of a safer, better world without war. This is how Waters described it. Last night, I watched a 2013 documentary film, The Man Who Saved the World. The man's name is Stanislav Petrov. The year before Stanislav saved the world, in the year 1982, I wrote a song, The Gunner's Dream. It's weird to think that had Stanislav not been in the right place at the right time, none of us would be alive. No one under the age of 37 would have been born at all. It's acknowledged by all but the Cretans among us that nuclear arms have no value. It's also acknowledged that they're a ticking time bomb, and we ignore them at our own peril. Accidents happen. The Stanislavs of the world are a rare breed. We've been extraordinarily lucky. If I ruled the world, I would heed the words of the wise. I would get rid of nuclear weapons, first thing tomorrow morning, on Dr. King's name day. Of course, no one can rule the world. The world cannot be ruled. It can only be loved and respected and shared, if we're still here in the morning. So here's a new recording and video of The Gunner's Dream, as a gift from me and my lovely band and our friends to you, with our love, Roger. Those are the words of Roger Waters, that ring even more powerfully now. And this is that song. You take a frail hand And hold on to the dream That's the message of Gunner's dream. It's a dream of peace and one we can all share, but one that requires action, requires love, and requires vigilance. It's what any good mother would teach her child. And it's what my mother taught me. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant. And we're all in this together, especially on this Mother's Day, especially as we face this war on women, and especially as we all rise up. All across America, all across Ukraine, and all around the world, We're all in this together on this Mother's Day and on every day. From Chuck Schumer to Pink Floyd, from Boombox to Roger Waters, from Irina Solemko Bonnenberger and Adrian Bonnenberger, from all the mothers in Ukraine to all the mothers in Russia, to all the mothers around the world, to you. We can all share that gunner's dream of peace. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraini. Happy Mother's Day. And stay vigilant, America. Take heed.
Media.